0: The Bible is practical. How do I break free from addictions? How do I recover from abuse? I think next week is how do I forgive? Three for really important questions. And I think you're going to be really encouraged today as we move on into this series and uh, look very practically at what the Bible's got to say. Just before we get to do that, though, Jess mentioned that, of course, you guys would have been following. We had uh, a new uh, party elected last night, a new Prime Minister elected. Uh, liberal national coalition and uh, I just think it's important you know the scripture tells us doesn't matter who our government is you might not like uh, the coalition you might uh, lean to Labor or anybody else but we pray for those that are in power and uh, I'd like to invite us as a church to do that together it's a momentous start in our history so can I encourage everybody to stand together and uh, I'm just going to lead us in prayer Heavenly Father we lift up to you God first of all uh, Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, God, we lift him up to you, God, as somebody that you have appointed as a ruler over this nation and uh, as ruling over this nation. And God, we pray, Father, for your blessing and your grace to be on his life, God. I know churches across this country are praying that same prayer. And God, we call that to you, Father, and we ask, God, that you would bless that man, God, as he begins this season of leadership. God, that you would draw wise men and wise women and put them around his life and speak truth to him. God, I would pray that people that even hear your voice would be would be near to him and he himself professes to hear from you. God, I pray then he would walk in wisdom, God, as he leads all Australians. And Father, we take the chance to pray for all those elected in this last 24 hours, senators, God, um, those in the House of Representatives. God, we lift them all up to you, Father. We pray that your grace would be on them, God, as they lead us. God, we thank you that you love the nation of Australia, God, that you're leading this nation into good things, God, into great things. God, I pray that we live up to, God, w- w- the, the things that you have for this nation. God, I pray that you would lead these leaders in such a way that they would lead us, God, so that we walk in your ways, Father. Lord, that we would be a nation that is godly. We would be a nation that follows after your truth. And so, Father, I just know i join and we join our prayers with churches across our nation. God, Praying, Father, for our, our, our lifted representatives. God, bless them, Father, and let them lead us in, in your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You'd rather see, just important to remember, keep praying for them. You know, they need your prayer. There is no doubt about that. Well, let's get straight into it. How do I break free from addiction? Let's not get around. Addictions can be really serious things that can wreck relationships, wreck families, wreck ourselves, have great personal cost to us. You know, it was interesting, I put it on Facebook yesterday, I'm just talking about addictions, and somebody, uh, not from this church, uh, inboxed me that I know, and just said, you know, I just want to say, I'm so glad that you're talking on that topic. And then she went on and talked about how her father-in-law at the moment has just um, been discovered in an incredible area of addiction and how it's wrecking again their family and bringing great devastation. And she just said, I can't be there tomorrow, but I just hope that, you know, you guys nail it there at Catalyst Church. Addictions are serious. Addictions matter. And I think if you're anything like me, we come... This morning wanted to know, how do I break out of addiction? But I just want to change maybe our perception of what addiction is. If you think of sort of a, a long line of addictions that are there, maybe if you're like me, first ones you think addictions, you think if that's sort of a really serious end, you think what? Like heroin, that's an addiction, um, uh, crystal meth or something like that. You know, the real serious stuff, the stuff we see at you know, late night news, somebody in the gutter and all the, the terrible things that happen. And then you sort of just think, well, mate, is, is that, you know, I don't really struggle with addiction like that. But have a look at what the scripture talks about in this context of addiction. It says in Second Peter 2, 19, it says, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. What? it puts a different spin on addiction. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So it's not just that a really serious stuff. It can be anything that masters me in my life, that is something that the the, the scripture would say you're a slave to. In other words, it's something that you need to break free in. So suddenly the list starts to grow. So I just thought we'd have a show of hands for a real safe one here today, just to sort of put you in the context. Um, And my hand is up, so you know we're all safe here together, we're all friends. Put your hand up if you would watch TV. Give or take you know, a couple of days a year for just crazy honors, other reasons. Nearly every single day of the year. Put your hand up. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Now, we would say, well, I'm not mastered by addiction, but I do that every single day of my life. That's what I do. That's something I don't I'm not, I'm not mastered by teaming. Now, maybe you're not. I don't know. But if you start to look at some of the things in your life a little bit differently, you start to think, well, maybe nothing has got... Control over my life. This is what we want to talk about here today. What about this one? Coffee or tea? Yeah. Why about put your hand up if you want to say, hey, every single day. I'm having a coffee or a tea. You know, a friend of mine, I see someone with two hands up.
1: Can you do this? I don't know. A friend of mine calls coffee Christian crap. Have you heard of that before? Isn't that cool?
0: I I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. You need coffee, you know? You know? That's what happens. Christian crack, isn't it interesting? I know one person that goes to this church. I don't know if she's in this one, but she has, I think, 12 cups of tea a day. Oh, well, that, that sounds very serious. She's very much a very nice person and she's not addicted, so don't worry. But 12 cups of tea a day. Hey, what is it? What is your thing? Is something mastering you in your own life? What about credit card debt? I've had someone talk to me about that recently. Where it gets on top of you and you're mastered by. What? Is that an addiction? Yeah. If it masters you, then it's an addiction. Maybe a bit more serious, the internet. You know, down one end of the scale we have, and this can be serious, but an addiction to like Facebook and what how many people like my post or like me? How many friends do I have? Pinterest and Twitter and all the other social networking things, right? I've just got to live connected to that thing. And that can be serious. But then down the other end, you have things like internet pornography. Do you know that, that we have this stat verified in the first service? Every s- second, $89,000 is spent on internet pornography you believe that? Every second, $89,000 is spent on internet pornography around the world. We're being mastered by this thing. Alcohol, maybe you just started drinking because you just did, but now you can't get through the day without having a glass of wine or a beer. Cigarettes, I can't live without cigarettes. Clothes, desperation to look good. Is that an addiction? If it masters you, it's an addiction. The gym. That's a funny one to put in this category, but do you have to go to the the gym? If you don't go to the gym five days a week, if you don't beat your personal best, if you're not looking exactly, you know, right, then it's an addiction. It's something that has mastered your life, and I think you guys are getting the point. The list goes on and on and on. Maybe for you it's gossiping. Maybe for you it's being negative in your life. Maybe for you it's anger. You go into fits of rage. Things master you. Maybe for you, you can possibly vote for the Greens every year. I don't know. Is that safe to say? All you right, we'll vote for the liberals. Whichever one, it might be. But you know something that has mastered you in your life. You guys are getting the point. So what we're going to do today is you guys are understanding that we're really desperate not to have our teaching time just being sort of receive it and it's done and we walk out of here, really understanding that it can be lost so easy. We're gonna hand out right now um, a little piece of clay, I think it might even be plasticine, and there's a whole bunch of people handing them now. What I want you to do, as the message happens, I just want you to mold and shape an addiction, okay? So it might be an addiction in your life. If, if coffee is your addiction, Maybe you just make a little coffee cup or something like that, all right? But it may not be an addiction in your life. It might be a generic addiction, okay? So this is why if you look at the person next to you and they're making a syringe, <laughs> it doesn't mean they're addicted to something that comes out of that syringe, all right? They're just doing the neutral one. But maybe they are, you'll never really know, okay? So you just shape and mold the addiction that, are, that could be in your life. And uh, right now I'm sort of thinking about what, of the, some of the potential things people can mould. Make sure it's wholesome, what you mould as well. Alright? So what are some of the addictions that are in your life? And don't worry if you're not very good at, at, at moulding. Okay, We're going we're gonna to actually squash this thing later on. So don't, don't sort of... We had people who are crying in the first service because they put so much effort into making this thing. Alright? You'll squash it later. Don't be too worried about it. But the point is, we're, we're making something that either you or or somebody you know, a friend of yours, or some generic uh, addictions that are out there. And uh, we're just making a, a point here today that uh, God can break through in all of these areas. And the other test that we have here is that you, while you do this, you also listen, because otherwise, what's the point? Okay, so listen at the same time. Uh, Genesis 4, 7 says this, God told him, he says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, this is God talking to Cain in the scripture. You guys probably know the story. Cain and Abel, Cain is really mad at Abel and what does he want to do? He wants to murder him. That's how mad he is. He wants to murder him. Now, God comes down in this moment and he says to Cain an interesting thing. Basically, to sort of my version. He says, Cain... Listen to me, buddy. Come over here. Listen to me, because this is a really important moment in your life. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But you've got a choice now. What are you going to choose to do? Then he goes on and he says, "But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you." And I really like this picture here. It's like a a picture. It's like a horror movie sort of a picture. It's like sin is like this insidious, evil thing that sort of might look friendly or might look insignificant, sort of just crouching over there, but it desires to have you is what the scripture goes on and says. I, I often, when I think about this passage, I think it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've seen or not, I promise you, I actually haven't seen the movie, but the movie It, with um, it's Steven Spielberg's movie. And if you've ever seen the front cover of that, it's a clown, okay? Now from a distance, I remember as a kid seeing that that, movie, that picture on the DVD sort of rental and it looks friendly. It's a, it's a clown, okay? But you get closer to that thing and you sort of pick it up, it's, it's freaky. I mean this clown has got teeth and it's got um, like massive sharp fingernails and it's obviously evil. And this is the picture that I get here about sin. Sins is not your friend. These, these things that come up into our life are not our friend. Their desire is to master you. Their desire is to rule you. And God gives a, it's a point to Abel. He says to Cain, you don't have to be mastered by sin. Notice what he actually says to Cain. He says that you must master it. What he's saying there is that there is hope for you. You know, we have to hear that today and all the things that you're making, if we water in this room, all sorts of different things. We can master the things that come up against us in our life with the grace of God. You can master those things. There is hope for every single one of us here. And for some people, you've been controlled by that thing for so long, you've just figured, well, you know, I'm just done. That's who I am. That's what I've always been. You hear from people tonight who have been addicted today who have been addicted for years and years and saw breakthrough in their life. That thing doesn't have to master you. But just to bring some seriousness to the subject, that thing actually wants to kill you. That thing wants to take over your life. Sin is crouching at your door. So we want to break through today. That's our hope, that we really see um, things broken with the lives of people. So today... We're incredibly blessed. We've got two people that have sort of put their hand up. So oh, I'm happy to share my story. But uh, Laura Rigby and Wayne Stevens are going to come and share with us, and they do it in a powerful way. Can you welcome them as they come and up, and uh, then we're going to sit on over here, and we're going to to interview. Um, you know, obviously, as I've just said, both of them are, are really happy to, to to share about some of the, the story of their own life and how God has broken through for them. Um, We've got the added benefit uh, that Wayne has done a little bit of study into addictions himself. Uh, He's a counsellor, a trained counsellor. We're also gonna get a bit of a glimpse of some of the scientific uh, perspective into addiction as well as we go on. So thanks seriously to both of you for being brave enough to come up and share your story I've had. I actually had people say to me, I want a gentleman after the first service that's most impacting Service I've ever been to in church. So I really want to sort of set it up. I know that's a big statement, but set it up. Some of the truth here this morning, this can be impacting and help you break through in your own life. So I'm just going to share some thoughts and then really hear from these guys about their own journey. The first thing I want to say, and if you hear one point, no other point, hear this point, is that we acknowledge the sin and repent before God. What would God tell us to do? He tells us to acknowledge. The sin and then repent before God. Acts three nineteen says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, oftentimes I think we think um, repenting is this and I I know it's your guys' story as well, but we think repenting is saying, God, I'm sorry about this thing that's in my life and I'm going to try harder, God, not to do that thing. I'm going to be a better person. And maybe we can hold that thing for a, a day or two days, a couple of hours, sometimes maybe a week or two weeks. We try really hard, and then we fail again, and we feel really bad about it until eventually we say, I'm really sorry about it. Maybe you would forgive me even, and then we go on and try really hard. And that is not what repenting is. Repenting, the scripture tells us it's like turning around 180 degrees. is actually not about the thing that you're doing, the addiction. Got nothing to do with it. Repenting is turning to God, receiving His grace, and this is such an important point. Whatever you face in your life, the first thing is that we acknowledge it before Him, and that we turn to Christ and say, "God, I need Your help. I see where I am. I see the brokenness in myself. I need Your help in the things that I'm going on that's going on in my life." Second Corinthians ten four says, "The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world." This is a spiritual battle. On the contrary, uh, the weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. Wow! And so, this weapon—this weapon of grace to demo, divine power to demolish strongholds in our life, and we ultimately receive the power to break free from the things that are going on in our life. And the scripture we just read it in our know, devotions this week. I mean, it's just like me—I'm mean, finding. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Revelation. So it's difficult reading at the moment. But in the middle of Ezekiel this week, he it it said, repent. Come back to me and you'll receive a new heart and a new spirit. This is what happens when we repent. Now, part of repenting is acknowledging the sin before God. Not just hiding it, but acknowledging it. And one way, of course, is as we read the Scripture so often, things get highlighted in our life. Pride has mastered as it did you know that God says, "Wow, ah, I repent, I acknowledge that, I confess it, and I turn back to you in my own life. So, maybe start with you, Wayne. Why do you think it matters so much that we acknowledge, first of all, our sin before God? Why does that matter?
2: It, it's a, a very important thing for me because of, one of the things it does is actually helps me um Helps me acknowledge that I'm not perfect and that I'm broken. And um, one of the problems with social media and with and and even before then is is we believe the the PR we we post about ourselves. You know, on Facebook we can we can show everyone that we've had a nice day or eating a nice meal. But the point is that that when we acknowledge our sin before God, we hear ourselves say the words and. And we understand that we are broken and that without him we can't to do nothing. Yeah, so the starting point is a, is a humility, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. coming from God. not coming from this
0: uh, position that I've got it sorted, yeah. but uh, yeah. the other way around. Incredibly important. And, you know, don't underestimate that point because, you know, and you, you'll hear it from these guys, the lie is it's okay. The lie is it doesn't matter. The lie is it just let it go. But the truth is, I confess it before God. Uh, Laura, I just wonder if you would mind sharing, then, you know, about your addiction, and uh, and then why this came across and how that was important for you.
3: My addiction started when I was fifteen. I developed an eating disorder that that wasn't stemmed by any childhood abuse or any trauma or anything like that. I had a really great upbringing, loving parents. One of five kids, all long great, still a long great. And nothing kind of baffled some of the strengths that mum dragged me to see. Um, I just wanted to be pretty like the other girls. It was, that was it. And it was, it was a choice that I made to do that. And I struggled with that for the major part of my life, for at least 15 years. Um, through that, I got married and had a child. I was successful in my career. Um, Nobody knew. It was my secret. It was my thing. I wasn't hurting anybody. Um, And then I found Jesus. I took Jesus' hand one day and came to him and he took me on a journey. And for about a year or so, Um, very gently as I kind of softened into my Christian walk, about a year or so, God decided to speak to me about this thing. And I didn't want to acknowledge it, because it was mine. It wasn't hurting anybody. I didn't feel it was sinful towards anybody. Um, And he just kept gently poking me with it. And it wasn't a hard come on Laura, it's time. It was a gentle, I'm with you, let's let's start a process, let's start working on this. You know, I've got i got you back, let's let's do something. And for so long I only heard my voice yeah. telling me this is the right way to go, this is the way to be comfortable, this is this is who you are. Um, but to then hear God saying something different.
0: Um, it took a, a little bit of convincing that he was trying to convict me that I was doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And so I think he said, you know, that it, it, it all sort of came down to like a growing revelation. I think that's really interesting, yeah. even in itself, how gentle he is sometimes in revealing something. What was was there a deep dive for you before God, or or how did
1: that work?
3: It was, it was a process. I had been learning, you know, as a new Christian, I was reading my Bible and learning to hear his voice. And I guess I decided one day, um, okay, if this is God's voice, I need to know for sure that it's his. Because my voice mm-hmm. is there too. Yeah. Um, is it his? And so I decided one day that I would tell somebody mm-hmm. um, just to... Clarify that it was God's voice I was, in fact, hearing. I needed somebody's opinion that I knew was wise, and I knew I wouldn't take their opinion lightly. So I had to, um, I had to confess to somebody, which was embarrassing and shameful.
0: I, um, I mean, that's a great point in itself, and I want to dig into that in just a minute. But I love the the point. Even that for you I mean you were a believer for a year, Jesus took you as you were, and for maybe the first few months of that year or even more, it wasn't it wasn't like he was speaking, and he, he starts to speak to you. And it just reminds me of grace and he takes us as we are. He keeps us as we are. Now Second Corinthians says God says, For the grace is sufficient for you. Um, Laura, why was grace so important for you? Why was that understanding of God's love so important for you?
3: It, it made me realise that as much as I thought I was in control and as empowered as I thought I felt, I was in fact just really weak. Right. And that without His strength and without His gift of, of life basically. I
0: was a dead girl. Yeah. I, I needed it. Yeah. Or, um, or, or I would have died. Yeah, yeah. That's why this step is so important. Wayne, maybe personally, or however you want to share it?
2: why is grace important? Grace is pivotal to everything because um, the psychology of addiction is that we will fail time and time again. And grace is the the central pivot in which we come back to that that God enables us to, to come back to him time and time again so the idea of grace really is that that um, God says one more time one more time and then there's radical grace which says one more time over and over and over again you know, and it never ever ends God never We sometimes we give up but but God never gives up. He always comes back to us time and time again.
0: Yeah, I really hear that. That's so important. I mean, I I, I read no stories where God can just bang, you know, and that thing is free. And that's, God is sovereign. He can do whatever He chooses to do. You're talking about that word sanctification, really, where God changes us bit by bit and involved in that, if nothing else, we learn and we have to rely on His
2: grace in our own life. and an important part of that is sometimes we mix up, we mix up justification and sanctification. Right. So it, um, sanctification is the ongoing work. Justification is what Jesus has already done. Just remember to put them in the right basket. You know, the ongoing work is part of the sanctification. But, but always yeah. remember that Jesus is already what he's already done. That's, that's right. That's so important. Yeah, that's right. Well, that and that speaks to identity,
0: Wayne. Just the other side of all this. So often, i know, talking to you that the core of an addiction will often come back to identity um, and who we actually are. Justification says uh, you are saved, you are loved, you are you are clean because of Christ. Um, talk a little bit about,
2: about identity then in the scheme of addiction. So, a really important p- point is that we are not the sum of the things that have happened to us. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of people have had a lot of things happen in life, but we are not the accumulation of that, those things. We, our identity is centred in Christ, and our, our challenge really is to choose which identity am I going to choose? And our, like Laura was talking about, she could choose that voice in her head, or, or, it's, or is it what God is saying, and, and the ongoing work that he wants to do with us yeah. yeah. is such an important part of not which voice he did listen to basically. Yeah. And just to make the point, this is where
0: you we're know, giving some great principles here today, but you might be stuck in an, an addiction. This is where a counsellor helps. A counsellor doesn't fix your problems, but a counsellor helps you unpack there might be an identity issue here, and let me point you back to what Christ would say about that and you in that. Um, Laura, you really went to our second step. Uh, it's interesting hearing your whole story which is confessed to each other. So we acknowledge this thing, repenting before God, but, but we never break through in these things in isolation. Right? You just see it in the scripture all the time. Like, God love people. We're meant to do this life with people. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and, heal, uh, and, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And you can call it confession, integrity, transparency, but it's a revealing of ourselves instead of a hiding. You look at Adam and Eve in the garden when they were discovered for their sin, the first thing that they wanted to do was conceal and hide and run away instead of coming out, confessing, opening up to God and to each other. Um, so there is no sort of isolation that will we'll lead ultimately to life. It's got to be done uh, with people. Now that's trust of people, but confessing matters so much. Uh, Wayne, talk about
2: confession and why that is so important from your view? Um, again it, it relates to how we perceive ourselves. Confession is our ability to to come before God and someone else, God with skin on, if you like, and, and to confess what it is that's going on inside of us. We we tend to believe what we what other people say about us or, or what what we believe about ourselves. Yeah. But so important that we actually um, are able to find that person, and it takes a relationship and trust. But to find that person that you can share your life with, and and um, to be able to to confess what is going on deep inside you, and that's why again, connect groups can be such a key yeah. know, in that in that journey of finding that person. And you know, important one, if somebody shares with you, that's the right time to be non-judgmental, yeah. Oh yeah, so if you're the person who's the, the sort of, who someone's come to, it's about being Christ's presence, it's about being s- someone that, that, that doesn't have that, you know that, un- you need to be able to shrug off, yeah. and just to be able to, you know, be present for people to to, to, to do their journey you know? Yeah, yeah,
0: and that is why connecticut leaders, friends and groups pastors are so important, we lean on each other, I say you know, time and time again, I don't think, I know I can't be shocked. Where I get shocked? What I'm shocked at as a pastor is how people can live with things for years. And it says sin is crouching at your door. Well, sin doesn't stay at the door. Eventually it gets up and it bites, you know, and it takes people down. And then that thing is exposed. One way or the other, that thing ultimately gets exposed in our life. But I would just say, why don't you expose it? at the right place, there's no room for judgment. There might be a room for saying, hey, let's help you move on, but it's not about judgment at that point. So, Laura, you've got that understanding, it's I've got to do something about it. What was it like then inviting that person in and how was that experience? Um, yeah, so I had,
3: that, I had that conviction and I decided I would tell somebody and I chose Chris Um somebody I had already had, had spoken to about different things at different times and had formed a, a bit of a relationship with her and she was somebody that I trusted. Um, so I invited her around and we had a coffee and I spilled my life to her and and I asked her, is this sinful? Is this, you know, is this God's voice awesome I'm hearing? You know, what do you think? Um, and then typical Chris Cummins style, she just listened to me and right. loved on me and didn't judge or condemn and didn't offer any medical advice, or, you know, what you're doing is harming your body or anything like that. Um, she offered to pray for me. Yeah. And no, of course I, I said yes and, and the strangest thing happened, which was nothing. I didn't feel any different. Right. Um, was hoping for some kind of miraculous healing. That we, you know, we all hope for that. But there wasn't. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought, oh, well, here we go again. Someone else trying to help me. I'm going to have to hide it again and pretend it's all okay. Um, But looking back now, I can actually see that that prayer was the pinnacle to my life turning around. And I can pinpoint that. Day and that prayer as the moment that Chris spoke Christ over my addiction, right. and a real life battle started at that
1: moment. Yeah, yeah. Ah,
0: oh, there's so many little great gems of wisdom again there from the just, Lord. I, I just, I even love your point about yeah, you wish I don't know that it's, you would have felt something in a moment it would have been sort of dramatic, but it's just that spiritual thing happened, which can be separate to our emotions or our physical body. A spiritual deal happens, but it was then an ongoing process. It was like the battle really began for you at that point? Okay. And we're going to get into that as we go on. Um, So confess, we not confess it to that trusted person. Here's the next one. Understand the role of the mind in the addiction. You know, sometimes we think that Science is way ahead of the scripture. And, you know, they're nice. we put them in separate places on the shelf. I was talking to a friend recently who doesn't believe in God at uh, all. I said to him, I've like, got, got nothing that I'm scared of because I know that God matches up with science. I know that uh, he's in control and these things work together. And here's a classic little example. Romans 12.2, it talks about how we're transformed. And it says this, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. I guess that's addictions and all the different things, but be transformed how? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that was written thousands of years ago. And what they're now finding is that the way you think and the patterns that you say, what you do in your mind, controls the outworking of your actions. The scripture is leading there in the way uh, that science is in a sense now catching up with what the scripture is saying. Uh, when the mind is wired for pleasure, so we're sort of inbuilt with this danger of moving to pleasure as a, as a way
2: out. Can you just explain some of the science behind that? So, so um, God has blessed us with dopamine receptors. These are the, the, the neurons that actually um, give us pleasure, make us feel pleasure. And on the screen is a is a um, what's called a PET scan, which is just it's not a scan of your cat or dog. It's a it's a type of brain scan where um, so up on the top left, is that right? Yes. Um, there is a normal brain, so what they call a neurotypical brain. So the red um, is high dopamine, high amounts of dopamine receptors, um, and the yellow and green is lower amounts. The one next to that at the top is actually a, a person with a food addiction. Um, the one below the normal brain is a brain with a cocaine addiction, and the one next to that is a brain with alcohol addiction. So all of this is just to say that um, our brains actually, they call it neuroplasticity, our brains actually can change. Our brains, depending on the environments and the um, chemicals we expose it to, can actually change and things um and things can change, but the, the good news is that that can be restored. That, that those things that have gone wrong for those people, with the you know the, the I abnormal mean, brains, if I call it, that that can actually be restored. So over time, we can actually restore those. So
0: the and those areas are less. The red is less because you know, the addiction reduce the sensitivity. Is that sort of what happens? And you mm-hmm. more so and more, and that's why yeah. addiction just keeps yeah. going. That's right. So we,
2: we actually find that's why addiction addiction has this cycle because we need to get more of the same thing to get the same hit as we did at the beginning. So it just evolves. So that's why it spirals downwards because we, we we want to feel the same level of pleasure or any pleasure at all. Um, but after years of addiction, that's practically impossible. Okay, and maybe I'll just jump to the cycle of addiction and just talk about that. Yeah, so um, the cycle of addiction actually, like any behaviour, we actually go through cycles. So we we try and resolve, we try and um, make it better, um, but we end up going through a cycle. One of the most important parts of that cycle is probably the frustration. So we have an internal frustration that we try and resolve and for whatever reason we can't. Fix that, we can't. Make it better, and that's how addiction starts. So we start obsessing and fantasising about that addiction. Yeah. Um, then we end up using, and we feel guilty about it. So we stop using, and time passes, and we stumble over again. Um, so it's really important, I suppose, to try and break that, um, and and it really starts by um, dealing with the obsessing and fantasising. Oh,
0: Right, so that's important. So it's not just about stopping, we're understanding the power of the mind here, so we understand there's something behind whatever that addiction might be, most often. Um, You talked about that there's 1,400 different chemical reactions that are are triggered by fear. Um, So our brain is wired by, and it's triggered by emotions, what is underneath like, how do we understand the
2: emotions in terms of all of this, like the causative factor in our addiction now? So our emotions weren't ever meant to be uh, the thing that we totally rely on. Our emotions are gifts God, but they're not meant to be the thing that we follow. So they say um, feelings are very bad leaders. They're good windows because they give us insight to who we are on the insight. But they're very bad if we try and follow them down a path. That's how we let, get to addictions because we, we feel bad, so we want to feel better. And that's how we follow them down that path. But um, it's important to acknowledge that there's things deeper inside of us in our heart that we may not have any clue of, but that is trying to get our attention right. on us, wants us to help to resolve whatever that problem is.
0: So it takes some, and this is the renewing the mind. But as you look at the cycle, as you're feeling internal frustration or as you begin to fantasize about something, obsessed, it's at that point stopping and saying, what is going on here? What, Why
2: am I feeling like this? Yeah, so it's called metacognition, which is this fancy word for, what I, what do I actually think about my thinking? Yeah. So we're the only animals on the earth that can actually go, I'm thinking this thing. Why am I thinking like that? Right? Okay. And it's through that reflection that we can
0: transform. So Laura, uh, practically for you, how did this work is you've confessed you're now on this journey, you know God is with you, but talk about how it actually worked for you to begin to renew your mind as you knew God's will for you was different.
3: Okay, so my my addiction would have stemmed through a fear. That would be my, my emotion was a fear of being fat or ugly and that fear of being uncomfortable after eating too much and with my eating disorder I had bulimia, It was it's about getting rid of the food that you've eaten so you don't put on weight and to go and rid myself of that food was a comfortable feeling, mm. um, it would make me feel comfortable, I wouldn't feel guilty, no. I wouldn't condemn myself for eating too much Um, But when that prayer of of Christ spoken over addiction happened um, every time I'd take that walk up the hallway to go to the bathroom um, there was a real struggle in my mind and it was my voice that I'd listened to for all these years that I trusted and believed in versus God's voice that because I had been in His Word, had been louder and louder and louder. And I was trusting more and more. And if you could see me, it would have been like I was a crazy person. I would be walking up the hallway and then walking back, and then walking up and then walking back. And there was this real pull on me, yeah. almost like you could visualize Jesus standing beside me, holding my hand saying, no, I've got you. Yeah. And fighting for me against the darkness saying, no, she's mine, she's not yours, you can't have her, she's mine, and saying to me, this is, I am the way, come with me. And there came a point, um, not too long into that battle, actually, where I had to surrender my own voice and rebuke it and say, I can't trust you anymore. Um, You're telling me lies, I'm telling me lies, and... Mm. I, I have to trust God, and as uncomfortable as it was, and as silly as it seemed, because I'd only known this way for so long that I thought was the right way, I had to go against everything that was comfortable, mm. in the full trust that Jesus' way was the right way. Mm.
2: Oh, I'm really happy to hear that. That's uh, that's
0: awesome, isn't it? You know, just, look you can apply Laura's hallway struggle I had somebody say that to me that was what stood out for me you, know. you can apply that to nearly any addiction we've all been in our hallways going up and back and up and back and uh, and there's grace in those moments you know, for us if we fail but it, it, the, the victory came I guess as you applied God's truth and had a victory and it rewind your brain, you, you, you transform the thinking. Was yeah. That
3: fair? I think um, I can't remember who it was. It was probably Chris Collins again, but it said to me one day, um, blessing comes with obedience. And right. do you know, sometimes you don't really know what that looks like. But when I was standing in that hallway, knowing that Jesus was holding my hand, and fighting, you know, the, the word is alive, it is a two-edged sword, and he really was fighting for me.
1: Right.
3: Um, that, I had to claim that victory. I had to choose the winning side right. over and over again. Right. After every meal, I would have to choose the winning side right. to, to stand on. Right. And it was really hard, and it was uncomfortable, yeah. as you can imagine, yeah. that every time um, that I was obedient, there came that peace, yeah. and that blessing, and that reassurance that God was pleased, yeah. that I was on the right path, that yeah. I was on the winning team, and, and I just clung to that promise, you know, Jesus is victorious, so it's not victorious. Will he be yeah. Will he get me through this? He's He's got me through it. Good. I just have to stand there in the face of the battle with Good. him, Good. and as long as I'm standing there holding on to him, yeah. um, we're gonna win.
0: Yeah.
3: It's just Good. a matter of when.
0: That's awesome. And just to re-emphasise, though, this was a battle that went on for months, into maybe even longer. But so there, there were times of failing in that. I guess the answer is still the same, Jesus is good and he is, he does love me. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's his grace in those times. Yes.
0: Um, Wayne, you have talked about when those emotions are starting to come up and that need, I just need to uh, escape, a few very practical things that can help uh, in this regard, even things like silence and solitude, I think Do you want to
1: quickly talk about that?
2: Um, Again, it's just really a way for us to, to acknowledge, you know, who we really are. But spending time in silence, or solitude, for me actually just helps. To uh, I can't pretend, I can't pretend that I'm all okay, or, or you know, the, the, the faces we put on. So just spending those times, um, whatever it looks like for you to fill your emotional bucket, it could be um, fishing, it could be spending time in nature, it could be whatever it is that makes you. Um, uh, helps you commune with God, you know, and, and, and helps you to find that space mm-hmm. within yourself that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. Great. Right. Again, uh,
0: counsellors, somebody working alongside you, this is where they can help particularly, that help rewire your mind. I just want to promote a book. You know, this is a, a journey. It's a great book that's been written. Um, Who Switched Off My Brain, uh, a lady called Dr Caroline Leaf. I don't think we have this exact title in the bookshop but we have books by this, uh, this lady on uh, this exact topic and it's all about how the brain works and some of the things that you can do to sort of uh, overcome with the help of God overcome the things that you're battling with I mean um, I in your eye, we don't have time but she, she gives some great examples of the lies we tell ourselves and how it's important to overcome those lies and I would just encourage you to grab hold of that book if uh, you want to explore that uh, a little bit further. Final step, and we're, we're getting touches of it actually as we've talked, is self-control. And here's thing I want to say about self-control. Oftentimes we we'll run to self-control first. Self-control is very important. It just doesn't come first. Grace comes first. A lot of Christ comes first. Confession comes next, I mean, understanding the the brain and our emotions, what we tend to do is we run to, I will be better, I'll be a better person, I will overcome this. In its wrong place, self-control can do us harm, because it leads to guilt and a a sense of, or or even worse, we might overcome it to some minor degree, and we feel prideful. You know, self-control is a part of the process. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, I discipline my body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should do. There's a part of effort involved in this whole process. Uh, it might be even things like exercise. Um, um, you know, what, one little thing I know in terms of depression, uh, which has many different facets to it, and I, I want to be careful not to be over simplistic, but we know that physical exercise is a great antidote in itself to depression. It takes some self control. To, to apply that and that's just one example. Um, Wayne, one of the things you said is like self-control is the step before the wrong step. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: So for I me mean, self-control is about environments. So what environment am I going to put myself in? It, and it's so important that we don't, um, you know, if I'm an alcoholic I'm not going to hang around a lot of people who drink a lot of alcohol. So it's about... Not waiting till you get to your addiction before, and then trying to go, no, I'm not going to do that. It's actually taking the steps beforehand. Right. Um, be be aware of what it is that is a bad environment for you. Even write it down. What is a what is a bad environment right. for me? What is a bad situation for me? Good. That because when I when I'm in that, I might not acknowledge that I'm having a, addictive issues, yeah. And then I get to the addiction and wonder why I fail at the time. Yeah. It's always about going back a few steps that you never actually get to that point. Or well, like one Peter Five acts is be self-control and
0: alert. If you do a word study on that, you understand it's exactly what you're saying. If you're an alcoholic, self-control is not going into a pub and not drinking. That's foolishness. Self control is not walking past the pub and not going in. That's foolishness. Self control is not even walking past the pub. And so that's what we've got to start thinking. We start planning our life a little bit different. How do I, m- why and run my life so that I can be strong? Now, of course, situations will come up, and that's that's a different thing. We need the grace of God in those moments. Um, Laura, for you, what what did this effort at self-control look like as you
1: were breaking through? My understanding of self-control had to come by me.
3: And acknowledging what my weaknesses were, um, by acknowledging that certain things, I'm, I'm just wired to be an addictive person. Like I can obsess about things. And if I, for example, once I had begun this journey and I'd claimed some victory on my addiction, I found myself falling into an obsession with going to the gym. Perhaps to compensate. Um, you know, I don't know what, whatever that is. But um, you know, I I had to realise. Wait a minute, I've got a weakness in this area. Mm. I've, there's something in my personality, in my genetic makeup, that makes me susceptible to obsessing about things that can become addictive in my life. And and I'm not saying you know, the gym is bad thing. It's a it's a great thing. But I have had to learn to know when had to say
1: enough
3: okay. um, yes yeah, so I think that the self control for me was acknowledging and understanding where those weaknesses are yeah. sometimes it wasn't about physically removing myself from a situation it was about up here It right. was knowing um, this voice can make me be weak in this area yeah. so I need to turn to the truth and to the strength yeah. um, which was always Jesus.
0: And many years later, Laura, you've talked about actually you've got freedom, but you still need to apply self-control mm. quite regularly to this day. Yeah,
3: yeah uh, I praise, praise God. I can, you know, I can now claim victory. I can now honestly say, you know, he he got me through that eating disorder. You know, mm. there was no specialist or anything, or jabs or miraculous healing, but through a journey. He, he got me through that, and you know that doesn't stop the devil. That doesn't stop that voice every now and again attacking my insecurities and attacking me in moments of weakness, um, like especially now that I'm pregnant, I'm putting on a bit of weight. You know that little voice oh. in the mirror, yeah. uh, hello guys, hello. Yeah. Um, you know I've got to keep. No, I'm not listening to that. Yeah. I'm. I belong to Jesus. He loves me. I, I'm i Laura and I'm going to be the Laura he designed right. me to be. Yeah,
0: awesome. Another clap of the night.
2: <laughs> Do you have any final to say on soft control or anything? Uh, I would just say um, don't ever let failure stop. you. Don't ever let... You know, I mean, it's always about coming back, right. And ne- you can never go too far. Yeah. There's no place you can go that is too far away from God's grace and gospel. Yeah. you oh, I mean,
0: probably like me and probably sit there and talk to these guys all day. Um, just so appreciate you being real and uh, vulnerable, sort of letting in your life, sharing your expertise there too, Wayne. Um, it's a great blessing to everybody. We're going to share communion now, but as these guys leave and we set that up, can you just put your hands together one more time? For, uh, uh, thank you. Sorry that.